This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... Breitenbach warns if government doesn't resolve the power shortage soon, the price of chicken will increase even more than last year when Russia's war on Ukraine caused feed prices to jump. That's a reporter Vicky Stark on disruptions to South Africa's poultry supply because of power cuts. Details coming up also. Millions of Nigerians are at risk of facing hunger. The U.S. Treasury Secretary heads to the continent. And a look ahead to a papal visit. We have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen is beginning her Africa tour, which will take her to Senegal, Zambia, and South Africa. While in Africa, Secretary Yellen is expected to highlight the Biden administration's effort to deepen U.S.-African economic ties, including expanding trade and investment flaws and promoting sustainable and inclusive economic growth. Joseph Siegel, Director of Research at Africa Center for Strategic Studies, explained to VOA senior analyst Mohamed El-Shanawi the significance of the tour following the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit last month in Washington. I think it demonstrates a commitment on the part of the U.S. to deepen U.S.-Africa economic partnerships. And I think this is significant because Africa is looking for sustained engagement and not episodic interest. And so I think Secretary Yellen's uh, visit is a demonstration of that sustained commitment. I think it's important to keep in mind that U.S. economic engagements in Africa are already substantial, but as the world's largest economy, um, the upside for expanding that relationship in Africa is considerable. And I think it's also notable that Africa is a very economically dynamic region. It has a rapidly growing population, growing middle class. Um, by 2050, Africa is expected to account for $16 trillion in spending. And so there's a lot of shared opportunities that both sides have in seeing this relationship deepen. Secretary Yellen will discuss the ways that the United States is working with African leaders to build a stronger and more resilient economy on the continent that benefits their citizens, the U.S., and the entire world. What would that entail? Well, the economic sectors that the U.S. is looking to invest more in, like power, transportation, communications infrastructure, information technology, these are not only creating public goods, but these are sectors that will generate a lot of jobs. And so, in effect, these investments are going to be improving the productive capacity in Africa that could have very far-reaching economic benefits for years to come. These partnerships are likely to build on the large African diaspora in the United States. And so it really has the prospect to build ties across a wide range of communities and businesses. These are not likely to be just focused on extractive industries. They're not likely to be just sort of government-to-government deals. Rather, they're likely to be more broad-based partnerships that are going to benefit a broader range of 
of Africans, especially connect with the growing middle class in Africa. I think with these investments, we're also likely to see more of the value chain being based in Africa and therefore further creating some ripple effects. During her trip, the secretary will also underscore the spillover effects of Russia's illegal war in Ukraine, which have disproportionately hurt developing countries in the African continent and globally. What steps would the U.S. take to help African countries cope with the food insecurity? Russia's invasion of Ukraine did seriously hurt Africa with very acute price shock causing a spike in consumer food prices. Russia provides you know, 30% of the grain supplies going into Africa. This is primarily wheat. And with Africa's growing urban population, we're expecting to see the demand for wheat to grow even more. And so I think one of the ways the United States can assist is to help Africa diversify its supply of grain uh, sources so it's not so reliant on Russia and its erratic behavior and its potential for disrupting future supply lines. I think more over the medium and longer term, the U.S. will continue to invest in agricultural research and agricultural productive capacity. This has been a mainstay of U.S. engagement in Africa for decades, and I think we can expect to see that expand moving forward. It's a two-way partnership, of course, and many African countries will want to gain access to U.S. markets with their food production, and that's something that Africa Growth and Opportunity Act, AGOA, which has been very popular in Africa, has done. And uh, I think there'll be effort to try to build that out further. The U.S. has been a big supporter of the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, which will further stimulate Africa to Africa trade, especially in food products, which will tap the, the vast potential for food production on the continent. I think uh, it's important we talk about food. In Africa, food is a particularly important sector because 70% of households rely on agriculture for their livelihoods. So food production is a means of generating jobs and capital that can further spur economic development. I think it's also important to recognize that you know 80% of the acute food insecurity we see in Africa is a result of conflict. And so one of the practical ways the United States can help Africa deal with the food insecurity challenges that it faces is through helping to mediate conflicts on the continent and help be an honest broker between the various parties, hold their hold the parties to their commitments to peace and security. And that was Joseph Siegel, Research Director of the Africa Center for Strategic Studies here in Washington. He spoke with my colleague, Mohamed El-Shenawi. The Egyptian Bar Association says it will go on unlimited strike to protest the imprisonment of six of its members who were in a brawl with three clerks earlier this month. The lawyers were jailed for two years for their part in the fight, which took place during a court session on January 5th in Marsa Matru on northern Egypt's Mediterranean coast. The French news agency AFP says the association claims that there had been a clear intention by authorities to keep the lawyers in detention without real justification. The convicted lawyers will appeal their sentences in a hearing on Sunday. South Africa's poultry farmers say they had to cull almost 10 million chicks because of the country's power crisis. The record blackouts have slowed down production, creating a backlog in processing and no room for the chicks. 
Farmers' groups warn if the power cuts are not resolved soon, South Africa's longer-term food security could be affected. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town, South Africa. South Africa's struggling state-owned power company ESCOM this week shortened power cuts that since December had forced homes and businesses to go without electricity for up to 10 hours per day. However, ESCOM says the rolling blackouts will continue for at least another year to prevent a total collapse of the grid. The record power cuts are crippling South Africa's economy and harming production, including foods. Isaac Breitenbach, general manager of the South African Poultry Association, says the power crisis means they can't run slaughterhouses or abattoirs on the usual 24-hour schedule. When we take chickens into an abattoir, um, there's a water bath um, with electric stunners, and that is the main and approved method of killing the chickens. And then in that whole process where we, we do the cut-up of the chicken, the temperature is controlled in the abattoir. Breitenbach says the lack of power to run the machines dropped production by a quarter, creating a backlog and overcrowding on poultry farms. The association says farmers were forced to cull 10 million chicks in just weeks. Breitenbach warns if government doesn't resolve the power shortage soon, the price of chicken will increase even more than last year when Russia's war on Ukraine caused feed prices to jump. We've seen a material increase in chicken prices of about 17% um, in the period 2021 to 2022. The drop in production could lead to a chicken shortage in South Africa and job losses in a country with a 33% unemployment rate. Theo Boschoff, CEO of South Africa's Agricultural Business Chamber, says the entire food production chain is affected by the power cuts. It's right up and down the value chain. If you think about primary agriculture, um, irrigation, especially during this time, it's peak summer. The cold chain is absolutely critical. So, so that's where the biggest risk lies, of course, um, to ensure you know, food quality and safety. Boschoff says the chamber is doing a survey to determine the cost to South African agriculture. He says farmers met on January 13 with Agriculture Minister Toko de Diza to discuss the problem and requests for a partial exemption from power cuts. It's a tough ask in the current climate. I mean, we, we don't have enough generation online. So if you have a, an exemption for one sector, that means you'll need to cut from another sector. He says the ministry agreed to appoint a task force on the issue and is expected to report back next week. South Africa's ageing power plants were forced to introduce power cuts since 2008 amid corruption scandals involving the state-owned power company ESCOM. The shortage worsened in the past two years with ESCOM having to cut power more than 200 days in 2022, the most ever in a calendar year. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa this week cancelled his trip to the World Economic Forum in Davos to hold urgent meetings on the blackouts. Despite the shortage, the government last week announced an 18% power price increase this year, but was unable to say when the power cuts will end. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. Senegal's Pasteur Institute will receive up to $50 million over 10 years to manufacture vaccines for the Global South. Reuters News Service reports the funding will come from the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness, a global initiative based in Norway. The group will create a network of vaccine manufacturers in the developing world to boost the capacity and reserves 
for future pandemics. The Pasteur Institute in Dakar says the effort will ensure regional outbreaks are not neglected by deploying the latest technology for the greatest need. The coalition says the funding will strengthen the Pasteur Institute's efforts to a bioprocessing laboratory that will boost vaccine production and reduce costs. There's also will be investments in workforce training, development, and quality management. VOA Africa is your trusted source for news, sports, entertainment, and music. Stay engaged with VOA Africa. We love to hear your voice. You can call us 24-7 on WhatsApp and leave a message. Leave comments, requests, or greetings. We may play your message on VOA Africa. Dial the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. VOA Africa is always happy to hear your voice. The number again is the international code plus one, then 202 258 3076. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas. Will he be in Washington? And please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. Millions of Nigerians are at risk of facing hunger between June and August 2023, the lean season, if urgent action is not taken. The figures were in the October 2022 Kadru Armonis, a government-led and UN-supported food and nutrition analysis carried out twice a year. UNICEF says it is working with the government and aid organizations to invest in scaling up preventative nutrition interventions while ensuring that vulnerable children have life-saving nutritional services. Kenya's President William Ruto said this week that there was a plot to murder the country's top electoral official last August to prevent him from announcing Ruto as the winner of the presidential election. This was the first time the president has mentioned the plot after months of rumors on social media, and Ruto's supporters are urging an investigation. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi, Kenya. President Ruto made the allegation at the State House Tuesday as he met with outgoing commissioners of Kenya's Independent Electoral and Boundaries Commission, including outgoing Chairman Wafula Chabukati. Last August, Chabukati declared Ruto as winner of Kenya's presidential election, which Ruto won by a narrow margin over his main challenger, Raila Odinga. Ruto alleged that unnamed individuals plotted to kill the IEBC chairman and take other steps so the election results could not be announced. The mechanism constituted a syndicate to execute a series of strategies consisting of bribery, blackmail, extortion, threats, and intimidation of various public officials of the IEBC, attempt their abduction, torture, and assassination, to storm the National Tallying Center and attempt to 
insurrection. Rumors about effort to disrupt the election have circulated on social media for months, but police have yet to open an investigation. Opposition parties say if Ruto has evidence about a plot, he should order police to investigate. The head of the former ruling Jubilee Party, Jeremiah Kioni, says those suspected of threatening the electoral commissioners' lives must be charged. The unfortunate allegations coming from a head of state. If he had evidence, he should have used the, the agencies that have been charged with the criminal justice system to ensure that uh, those culpable are um, dealt with by the institutions and, and as provided for uh, in our laws. Many Kenyans see Ruto's allegations are plausible. Chris Musando, a Kenyan official in charge of ICT, was kidnapped and killed a few days before the 2017 election. That killing is still unsolved. However, political commentator Martin Andati says Ruto is making a mistake by bringing attention to the alleged plot to kill Chebukati. He's opening a Pandora's box because uh, you remember that late Musando was abducted and eventually killed, and Kenyans have not forgotten. So they, they, are, they are creating, you know, the country had started healing, and you saw the reception uh, President Ruto received in Luanyanzi. But when he now starts making the kind of allegations he's making and opening the wounds which had started healing, then uh, we will get derailed. We will not be able to heal as a country. We will not be able to address some of the challenges that uh, he needs to address. And we are likely to lose focus. Ruto won the August election by less than 2% points over Odinga and four members of the seven-member IEBC challenged official results in court. The Supreme Court upheld the final count. Kenya now faces months without an electoral commission after the terms of the last three remaining commissioners, including the chairperson, ended this week. The departing commissioners have recommended the commissioners be appointed to the electoral body two years before the election, strengthening electoral laws and improving security at the tallying centres in the country. Kenya has appointed electoral commissioners through the Interparties Parliamentary Group since 1997. The opposition anticipates that a similar approach will be used in the formation of a new election agency. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. When Pope Francis travels to the Democratic Republic of Congo and South Sudan in a week and a half, he will not only hold prayer services and meet with political leaders, he also plans to talk to ordinary African Catholics. The church is seeing its fastest growth in Africa. Out of 1.36 billion Catholics, 236 million are African. Stan Chuiolo religious scholar and professor at DuPaul University in Chicago and author of the book Handbook of African Catholicism says the Pope will particularly want to hear from young people and women on controversial topics such as the future of the church, marriage, and celibacy. He tells VOA's Carol Van Dam it's part of a worldwide consultation the pontiff began last year that will wrap up in 2024 called the Synodal Process. In November the 1st, I organized with three other dicasteries at the Vatican, a virtual meeting between over 3,000 African young people and Pope Francis. So we organized this with the dicastery for communication, for the evangelization of peoples. 
and then the uh, Commission on the Synod, as well as the Pontifical Council on uh, uh, Commission on Latin America. So the Pope was very, very animated during that conversation. It was meant to be an hour. We spent an hour, 30 minutes. So the Pope is going to meet these young people, some representatives, in person. He met with them virtually in November. So he's going to meet with them uh, in person in Kinshasa. Pope Francis believes that the future of Africa will be determined by the young people. Perhaps it's also a strategic uh, approach because for those who've been, you know, smelted in the furnace of conservatism, the uh, hardcore conservatives in the continent, uh, some of them high-ranking church officials who've been on for the last 40 years, you're not going to change them in the next in the next one year or two. And the young people are the ones who are very vibrant in uh, 20, 2018. Uh, they have this um, synod on young people. So it's, it's actually a very strategic move by the Pope to look at Africa through the lens of young people. In, in South Sudan, it's more ecumenical. So it's an ecumenical visit rather than, say, the Pope making an official visit. Yes, it's an official visit to South Sudan, but he is going to be there with other church leaders. In Congo, uh, the issue also of clerical sexual abuse is uh, front and center because February last year, the Bishop's Conference of Congo had published this document. What about the Catholic conservatives? What are they... Where are they in this picture with Pope Francis, who seems to be far more liberal-leaning than the previous popes? Yes, this is the contradiction of the times, that a few years back, Cardinal Sarah, the the former head of the um, congregation, now the Dicastery for Sacred Worship, he, he was the most high-ranking church uh, official from Africa. He's from Guinea, and he is considered like the, the lion of the conservative group, not only in Africa, but he, he crisscrosses uh, the United States, Canada. He's a, he's a constant visitor here with the conservatives. I mean, the last controversy was really the work on celibacy during the synod on the, on, on, on the Amazon. Sarah will epitomize, really, the kind of conservatism that you see in the continent of Africa. And that was Stan Chu Ilo, religious scholar and professor at DePaul University in Chicago. He was speaking with my colleague, Carol Van Dam. The French news agency AFP reports that Nigerian security officials have rescued the last two hostages from a train station kidnapping earlier this month. Twenty people were abducted in the attack at stations in the southern state of Edo. Seven people, including two local traditional chiefs, have been detained in connection with the attack. Insecurity is expected to be an issue ahead of February's elections for a new president in Nigeria to replace President Mohamedou Buhari. Heavily armed bandits are behind most of the attacks. The African Development Bank predicts the continent's economy will stabilize over the next two years with up to 4% growth and a drop in inflation. According to Reuters News Service, President Akinwemi Adesina 
says the top five performing countries in Africa could, do, could grow by more than 5.5%. Two countries with large natural gas projects, Senegal and Mozambique, are projected to grow by over 8% next year. But two of the continent's largest economies, Nigeria and South Africa, expected to grow between 1.5% to 3%. The inflation rate is expected to drop to close to 9%, four points lower than last year. The bank notes that the continent is recovering from rising inflation and food prices and tightening monetary policy in wealthy countries, which has driven up the cost of serving growing debt. Those conditions led to a drop last year in African growth to... 